Um, I would like to begin today with an epic story. And I will begin with my epic story, Julie. All right, um, this is the, the tale of the three brothers. And if you have uh, read the Harry Potter books, no, I'm not talking about the Peveril brothers. No, no, this is the tale of the Piglet brothers. You might remember it, okay? You might remember the story. So there were once three Piglet brothers, and uh, they all had varying degrees of, what should we say, fortitude in their work ethic, okay? The youngest brother was the laziest of them all. The middle brother was fairly lazy still, but the older brother, now he was the hardworking brother, the champion of our story, okay? Well, as you may well know, uh, they decided to build houses for themselves one day. And the youngest brother built his house out of straw. You guys know this one. Very good. I told you this is an epic story, okay? Built his house out of straw. The uh, middle brother decided to build his out of small sticks that he found. And then the oldest brother built his out of what? Brick. Very good. You guys know this one. Well, it just so happened that microphones make loud noises on occasion. Is that good? It just so happened that um, Big Bad Wolf came into town one day. And uh, he was hungry, and just like Keith, he was in the mood for bacon. Okay? And so he goes to the littlest brother's house, and if you remember the phrase, he knocked on the door and he said, Little pig, little pig, let me in. And the witty little piglet retorted with something that rhymed, so you know it must have been good. He said, not by the hairs of my chinny chin chin. Good. This is audience participation. This is nice. First service was torrential rainforest, so the sermon sounded like this. <sighs> All day. So, very good. So, uh, Big Bad, not happy with this response. He huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. The piglet, terrified, runs to his middle brother's house, Okay. And now, by this point, Big Bad is even hungrier. He is frustrated. And so uh, he arrives at the middle brother's house, and he says, little pig, little pig, let me in. Both of them reply, not by the... Very good. He's in his anger, hoofed and he poofed. And he blew that house down, the house made of stick. Both little piglets, utterly terrified, run to their oldest brother's house. <clears throat> okay. With me so far? At this point, Big Bad is feeling angry, okay? His anger has increased, as has his hunger, and he is ready for some pork chops. And so he says to the three pigs in the brick house, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. And they reply, not by the hairs of our chinny chin chins. Very good. Big Bad in a fury who has more wind than a Baptist pastor huffed and he puffed and he didn't blow, very good, he didn't blow that house down. And in his anger, he climbs up the roof, he goes into the chimney, he's climbing his way down, but the oldest brother was, again, the smartest and savviest of all the piglets. He had a boiling pot of water in the fireplace, pulled the, little, the lid off, Big Bad fell into it, he put the lid back on, and the three little piglets had wolf for dinner that night. You remember the story? Good. A couple questions. Number one, did it matter 
what those piglets built their house out of? Yes, which one was the strongest? Brick, very good. All right, now to our passage today. Does it matter how we build up God's house? And by that I mean the church, you all, all of us. Does it matter how we build up the church? Yes, let's open our Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 10 is where we will start. Last week, Pastor Chris taught us about spiritual maturity, how necessary it is for us to grow in Christ. We were reminded that the church is not owned by Paul or Apollos or any of these incredible leaders. No, no, it is the Lord's church alone. Uh, Paul gave us this farming, this agricultural example in verses 6 through 9, and it's very simple. He said, I, I Paul, I, I planted the seed. That's what I did. I went around and I planted churches. I planted the gospel. Apollos came after me, praised the Lord, and he watered it, but it is who who gives the growth? Yeah, it is God who gives the growth. Thank you. Very simple analogy. He is saying that Paul and Apollos are united in the common goal of the ministry of the gospel, okay? Neither are the center of the church, nor are they intended to be. The factions that the Corinthians had split into in this church were over the personalities of their leaders, and they were severely misguided. Paul and Apollos, Paul says right here, I, I, we're merely fellow servants of God, okay? This is not our church, it's not about us. We are just workers in God's field. Now in verse 9, the verse before our passage, Paul transitions from one illustration to the next, from a field and farmers to a building and its workers. It's to this illustration that we're going to draw our attention to, so please stand with me, and I will read this passage of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, okay? Paul continues and says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is God's word, amen? Amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated, please. I have entitled this sermon, Building Upon Christ, and if you are a note taker, here is the main idea. It matters how we build God's church, okay? It matters how we build God's church. The first point of this sermon that I would like to uh, flesh out is this. God's church is built on one foundation. We sang it earlier, right? How firm our foundation. In verse 10, Paul says that he is like a skilled builder. He is like a wise builder. He has laid a foundation for all other people to build upon. He has been a faithful church planter and has laid down one singular foundation 
but he doesn't take credit for doing so. And, and right in verse 10, it said, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, he did all of this. So again, Paul's not glory-seeking. He hasn't been in this whole letter. He is simply trying to say, I'm just doing what God called me to do. All good things he accomplished for the ministry of the, spreading the gospel to the Gentiles was clearly by God's grace. So we come to verse 11. What is this foundation for the building? So I ask you, what's the foundation? Jesus Christ. See it there in verse 11? No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So I'd like to give you a visual today of this foundation. I know you've all been wondering what's underneath the black cloak, okay? Here it is. Today, our foundation. You see it? What's it say? Jesus Christ. Christ. He is our foundation, okay? See this here? There is one foundation. Who is it? Good. You, You got Paul's main idea here. Very good. Okay? And he's saying that there is no other foundation. There is, we don't want to rip up this one and take another one down or put another one down. We don't want to try to add to this with something else. No, no. For this superstructure that is the church, there is one singular foundation. Okay? But I've asked my assistant to go grab my other foundation. It's Vanna White, ladies and gentlemen. No. <laughs> Pastor Trevor has kindly went to go get me my other foundation. It'll appear here in just a moment. So why am I bringing up a different foundation? Well, God's church is built upon one foundation, as I said. No other foundation, not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter, not any other person could be the foundation of the church. Look at that fine piece of craftsmanship, everybody. Everybody thank Trevor. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to ask, why does Paul state such an obvious thing, that there is one foundation and that there's not any other one? This is pretty obvious. We would all agree, yeah, the church needs to be built upon Christ. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a moot point. It doesn't make sense. Well, to say that Christ is the only foundation implies something. It implies that nothing else should be placed there. For instance, here's my other foundation. I'm going to suggest a few different things, I think, that sometimes we get tempted to make a foundation, and uh, sometimes you've seen it in other churches, and it certainly was the case in the Corinthian church, okay? The Corinthian church, as I've already explained, was, was uh, getting into this popularity contest thing with their pastors, you know, with church planner, the missionary guy, Apollos, their incredible speaker, you know, all of these different personalities. But you see, when you have as your foundation a certain personality, and you... Try to put a little weight on that. You see that? If you can't see it here, we're wiggling down here, okay? So let's, that was the situation in their church. Let's talk about our church, Kent City Baptist Church, okay? Do we put as the foundation of our church our pastors? Say no really loud. There you go. Thank you. I got really concerned there. Like, guys, we had one answer, okay? One question test. Okay, if we put Pastor Chris as our foundation, of our church. I tell you, I mean, this church would be persuasive. This church would have a following, right? It, it would be a pretty popular place, but if he tries to stand on this, you see that wobble? I'm not sure that, that we want to have him as a foundation. Let, let's take Pastor Ken, for example. 
If we had Pastor Ken as our foundation of our church, I tell you, this church would be known for its faithfulness, it would be known for its service, it would always show up. I mean, the doors would never be closed at this place. But if he's our foundation, uh, I'm not sure that that's a great idea either. Let's take Pastor Derek. I tell you, if there's a church you'd want to go to, the happen in church, it would be Derek's church. It would be gregarious, it would be energetic, it would be so much fun to be a part of this church. But again, if, if he's the foundation, we, we might have a problem. Let's take Pastor Trevor, for example. If he were the foundation of our church, man, this church would be thoughtful, this church would be precise, it would be encouraging, it'd be a great place to be, am I right? But, again, I don't, should I try? Should I stand on this? Okay, let's put me on the foundation. I tell you what this would be. This church would be perfect in every way, okay? There'd probably be no faults. It just, everything would run so smoothly. But, you know, if this tries to support my weight, the church, we try to put it on this foundation, this is what happens. Ready? It breaks. It can't, no other foundation can support the weight of the church. There's only one that can. Who is it? This isn't even uh, mortared together, but it's still solid, okay? And that's the point. Paul is telling the Corinthians that you cannot put any of us as your foundation. It's not going to work. It's not intended to work. It will fail you. It will fall apart, and everything you've built upon it is going to cave in on itself. The same thing for us, friends. We can't put anything else as the foundation of the church because whatever it is, it cannot support the church. It can't support it during trials. It can't support it during difficulty. It's going to fail. All but one foundation will fail us, okay? That's the point. Pastors and their personalities are not the foundation of the church. Honestly, you guys know this. Churches have fallen for many reasons in, in the world. A lot of times it's because they make the church out of the identity of their pastor. And so if the pastor leaves or if he fails or has a moral failure or something like that, the whole church kind of like a dying star just kind of caves in on itself because they made it about something that it's not. But Christ alone is the foundation. He is unshakable, he is immutable, he is solid, and he is faithful and true. And that's why we sang Jesus, our firm foundation. One commentator just simply says, you cannot build Christianity without Christ. You can't do it, and it's a fool's errand to try. So this leads us to our second point. How do we build Christianity upon Christ? How do we build the church? What does Paul have in mind for us? And here's the second point. God's church must be built to last. God's church must be built to last. Look with me at verse 12. Paul writes, Now if anyone builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. So we've been given some, a materials list, right? And this it starts with the most worthy thing and then kind of works its way down. You have gold, you have silver, precious stones, then wood, then hay, then straw. And Paul's not so much focusing on this, like, this, uh, this range of worth. 
he's saying three of these things, these things go into two categories. Three of these things are going to last in a day of fire, and three of these things are not. Do you see that? What's going to last is the gold, the silver, the precious stones. When fire hits those things, they're not going to disappear. However, the wood, the straw, and the hay, those three things are clearly materials that will not last. So we have materials that last and materials that don't. And before I talk about this in great detail, I just want to say this passage is particularly pertinent for pastors and leaders within the church. Um, Paul is saying that certain things are going to last in that day and certain things are going to be burnt up. Many of the, of the works that we do, many of the things that we do in Christ's name, some of these things are going to last and make it through the fire and others aren't. So we as pastors here open the curtain a little bit, uh, we are going to be held responsible one day before God Almighty for how we've built the church. And I'm not talking church building, I'm talking about you all, for how we've built you up. If we have built you up on this foundation, or if we have built you up on this foundation with things that aren't worthy of this foundation. You see the difference there? How we teach, how we keep the preeminence of Christ among you, how we encourage and challenge you to look more like him and less like the world, all of that is going to fall on our shoulders in a unique way. However, it is not only the pastor's and leader's job to build up the church. Amen? Who else's job is it? Did I say that louder? Very good. It's all of our responsibility. Really, the New Testament paints the picture of the building up of the church. There is leadership involved, of course, but really, we're called to build one another up in this superstructure called the church. Build one another up in Christ. In other words, we need to make the building worthy of Christ. To make it in such a way that what is built reflects the worth and the character and the person of the foundation. It makes no sense to have a foundation of Christ, yet what we build looks an awful lot like the world. What makes sense is to have the foundation of Christ that through him and by his spirit looks like Christ to the world. Does that make sense? That is what Paul is after here. When he's speaking of the church, he's not speaking of the literal building. He's speaking of members of the body and how we build one another up. And so I've taken a quick survey of probably 20 different verses in the New Testament that paint this picture of how we are to relate to one another and how we are to build one another up. Are you ready for them? I'm going to go quick. So if you're writing them down, just write the reference and look them up later. The first one is a reminder from Romans 12, 5, that we are one body and we are members of one another. So when one suffers, we all suffer. You know, that's the idea. We are all part of one body. Romans 12, 10 says that we are called to love one another with brotherly affection. And one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, it says we are to outdo one another in showing honor to people. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16 calls us to live in harmony with one another. It's been a little difficult during the last four or five months, hasn't it? Been a little more of a challenge with this COVID stuff. Yeah, it's been difficult for us, but this is how we build up Christ's church as worthy of him. Romans 15, 7 tells us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And if you need reminding, we were once far off, we were once enemies of the cross because of our sin, but he reached out to us to rescue us from our sin, amen? 
Romans 15, 14 tells us that we are a people of truth. We need to be able to instruct one another. Galatians 5, 13, this one's huge. It says, don't use our freedom, in this context, freedom from the law, use it as, an, as a, a reason to sin, using it for the flesh, but instead, through love, to serve one another. What have we been given freedom in Christ for? To be free to serve other people. Galatians 6, 2 calls us to bear one another's burdens. And similarly, Ephesians 4, 2 tells us to bear with one another in love. Two great words in the church, to forgive and to forbear. Many times we need to forgive those who have wronged us, but most every situation is actually one where we need to forbear other people. That means be patient with them, to give them the benefit of the doubt. Forgive and forbear. What else? Ephesians 4.25 tells us to speak the truth with one another. Why? For we are members of one another. It's like saying, if I'm unwilling to tell you the truth, it would be like me being unwilling to want to hear the truth because we're all of the same body. So do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Colossians 3.13 again says, bear with one another, forgive each other. Hebrews 10.24 and 25, this is one of the best ones. The writer of Hebrews tells us to stir each other up in love and in good works. Not merely stirring the pot, but stirring one another up in love and good works. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, the Lord's return is far more near than it has ever been. And in light of that day and the day we're going to talk about it in this passage, we are to stir one another up to do the good that the church has always been here to do. James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. This is how we build one another up. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 tells us to keep loving one another earnestly. Basically, don't give up on people. Don't give up on loving them. Yes, it's going to be hard, but that is how we build Christ's church. 1 Peter 5.5 beautifully says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with arrogance. No, no, it doesn't say that. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for God's sake. We live in a day and age where everybody has to be the expert. Probably none of us are, are much of experts in anything. I mean, the, the whole idea of this letter to, uh, from Paul to the Corinthian church is, hey guys, God uses the foolish things in the world to shame the wise, and he uses the weak things in the world to shame the strong. So if we've got it all put together, we probably don't have much of a need for Christ. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. And lastly, John, as he always reminds us, 1 John 4, 7 tells us simply to love one another. So how do we build up the church? Maybe a better question is, how are you building others up in our church? Think about the last few weeks. Think about the last few months, maybe before the pandemic hit. Are you building people up in this way that the New Testament envisions? Or are we maybe more concerned with other things that are surely going to pass away? We're called to build up the church with what will last. What won't last, just a quick little survey here, According to Paul, is anything that is according to the wisdom of the world or anything that ultimately empties the cross of its power. 
If it's of self and it's about being impressive, that will not last. These things do not make it in the end. So anything that is sinful or self-centered or self-serving in us, especially pertinent for me as somebody who's up front, what is done to simply impress other people, we all have that, don't we? These things are simply unworthy of the foundation. And these works will be burnt up, the text says, on that day. So the final point, number three, it matters how we build God's church because, well, the building inspector's coming, okay? The building inspector is on his way to see what we have built. And I don't think a building inspector merely cares, does the house have a roof? Does it have walls? I think the building inspector is concerned of, is that roof going to last? Are those walls plumb? Are they actually going to keep the elements out? The building inspector is on his way. And we're told this, right? Verses 13 through 15. I'll read them again. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 15, if anyone's work, though, is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This day that is talked about in this passage, the day of the Lord, as the Old Testament uh, refers to often, is a day that's compared to a hot, blazing fire. And this fire is a fire that tests, or a fire that reveals, or a fire that makes manifest what is already there. It doesn't purify these things and make them better. It will simply burn away what doesn't last, what is temporal, and it will leave behind anything worthy of the foundation. When this fire comes, the wood, the hay, the straw, all burnt up, the gold, the silver, precious stones remain, and ultimately there will be no doubt at all to what our Christian work was. Jesus even says this on the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, about giving and generosity. He says, you know, don't let your... You know, your left hand know what your right hand is doing because if you do this simply to be seen, well, that's all the reward you're going to get. And so when we come to this passage about rewards, we need to be thinking in our minds, what about my motivation? One commentator writes this, seeing that we are not privy to human motivations and we are unable to gauge long-term effects, our judgments about Christian work will always be open to correction. But God pronounces a definitive verdict at the last judgment, which cannot be revised, for all factors have been taken into account. In other words, God's not going to get it wrong. He's not going to get the judgment wrong. He will know exactly what we built and why we built it. You know, how often do we misjudge other people's character? You ever been there? Anyone? Okay. It happens on a daily basis, right? We see somebody do something, whatever that is, and we're like, oh, that's probably why they did this. You know, you start building up this story, this narrative in your head, where you're convinced that you know exactly why somebody did X, okay? Most of the time, we're wrong about stuff like that. We cannot peel back into people's hearts and see the very motive for what they do. But there is one who cannot miss the motive behind every human heart. 
and that is the Lord Almighty. And on that day, as we've said, the building inspector is coming. Romans 14.10 tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And verse 12 of that passage tells us that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And he sees all. So let's talk about inspection time, everybody. When God reveals what has been built, an amazing thing is going to take place. Okay? Number one is the faithful builders will be rewarded for a job well done, for a life that was well built upon this very foundation. Not only does our God, this is just amazing to me, not only is he the, is he the type that rescues his enemies, that saves his enemies, that makes them heirs to everything he has created. He has welcomed us, he has done all this for us, but then at the very end, on the final day, at the judgment, he's going to look at Christians who have served well and he said, you know, if that's not enough, I'm going to bless you even more for your faithfulness because you built upon the foundation something that lasts and something that matters. You guys, we're going to get a reward for what we've done in Christian service, for how we've built one another up in the church. How astounding is that? We don't deserve to be saved to be a part of God's family, let alone to be rewarded in such a way. This causes me to marvel because we simply don't deserve this level of kindness from God. But there's another side to the reward, and it's said here in verse 15... If anyone's work ends up being burnt up, he will suffer what? Loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That's, that's like an ancient metaphor for like, by the skin of your teeth. Like, you made it. Praise the Lord. You're, you're on his team. But there's going to be some sense of loss, according to Paul here. And so we want to ask what in the world that can mean. Because normally... We think of eternity with all joy, which I think is true still in this passage. But we need to ask her, what does, this, what does suffer loss mean? There's a way I don't want us to think about it, and I think this is what Paul is saying. Eternity with God is not going to be a disappointment, okay? It's not like there's going to be two tiers of Christians, you know, like the super religious Christians, the super holy ones that have gotten all these rewards and they have this like elite status, and they kind of walk around heaven strutting, you know, like, how big was your room? Double the square footage, you know. It's not anything like that. And it's not like there's other people who are going to be in heaven who much of their work was burnt up, and for all eternity, they're just doing this, kicking their heels, because there's no joy for them. That's not true. Psalm 16, the end of it is one of my favorite passages as well. It says, at the right hand of the Father, there are pleasures forevermore. There is nothing but joy in eternity because we're going to be beholding the face of the one who saved us. So there is going to be nothing but joy. But I do wonder at times what this passage can mean. For instance, this is me speculating a little bit, but when Revelation speaks of every tear at the end, being wiped away. I think all of us have wondered at different times what those tears are, if they're tears of sorrow, of mourning for the people who are lost, you know, who that might be. And, and I don't really know. It could be many things. But I wonder at times if maybe we're going to have tears in sorrow for wasted opportunities, for moments when God's Spirit moved in us and 
asked us or called us to do a certain thing, but out of fear of people or fear of failure or, you know, what have you, we just simply didn't do it. We resisted him and maybe, this is speculating, but maybe God's going to show us, as Trevor and I were talking last week, almost like a, a highlight reel, but like a backwards one, where God might show us all of these moments where we could have built so much more, but we didn't. I don't know. Maybe we'll have tears and sorrow for misplaced loyalties, for having our feet so grounded and rooted here, for example, in the United States, that we really don't ever want to leave. And to us, this is the heavenly city, you know? Maybe we'll have tears of sorrow for that. Certainly, there's going to be some sense of loss for building upon the foundation of Christ with things that are not worthy of him. These individuals, the text says, will surely, they'll certainly be saved because they're building on Christ. They're not building on something else. But as through fire, like maybe much of their life didn't amount to reflecting the glorious gospel and the character of Jesus. Theologians speculate about this verse, what it can mean, um, but I think the warning is serious either way. We want to build upon Christ in a way that matters. We want to build it upon the foundation of Christ. We want to build it for what will last because one day the inspector is coming and it's going to be proved what it was. So in conclusion, I want to ask a simple question for each one of you to think through. What are you building? Some of you honestly should be really, really encouraged by this passage because you've been building well and on that day, I mean, maybe even right now in your hearts, there's this sense of anticipation, like, am I really going to get rewarded for, for doing this? Like, it's a joy to be a part of the ministry. It's, it's an utter joy to, to tell others about Christ. Those things are going to be rewarded. And so for you, be encouraged. Keep building well and don't give up. Some of you, perhaps, have been building things that won't last. And maybe even now, God's Spirit's reminding you of things that your life has been preoccupied with that do not matter. If that's the case, this is a call for you today to change, to, to refocus, to cast aside the materials that are all going to be burnt up anyway, stop wasting your time, and, and start building the church up in Christ and building up well. For some of you, you might have be content to let others build while you kind of just sit back, you know, idly by and just let everybody else do the building. If this is you, this is an invitation for you to get in on the project, okay? I'll be honest, building God's church is a lot of fun. I love doing what I do. It's a blast to do. It's the most exhausting thing I can fathom doing, but it's also a lot of fun, okay? Get in on the work and serve the body. That is one of the many reasons why we are here. Get in on the invitation. Speaking of invitation, lastly, some of you don't even have Christ as your foundation yet. You don't know him. You have not rooted yourself or been cemented to the gospel that can save you. And to you, I, as we often do, we just call out and say, believe in the name of Jesus. In him you find forgiveness. In him you find freedom. And in him you will have an eternity at his right hand with nothing but joy and peace and no more striving. Turn from your sins and trust in him, and then join in the work.
because you're going to get rewarded for it. There is a reward waiting from God for every faithful builder of the church. And by God's grace, that can be you. That can be you. It matters how we build God's church.